one mistake that I see people making is that they're they're going through their their career very almost like a bunny rabbit where it may make sense to approach your career like a turtle turtles live very long <laughs> turtles i can live for like a hundred years or something like that hey friend it's david nabinsky here in new york city here we go episode 100 thank you so much for being here i'm so excited for you to learn from giovanni beckford today giovanni has been a foundation friend for me here in New York City. This podcast would not have happened with him. So many of the friends and guests have been because of him and I've been lucky to live with him for over two and a half years and my first guest was Kian Gardner, a prior roommate of ours and this was just a special treat to celebrate episode 100 with Giovanni and for you because Giovanni is one of the smartest people that I know and that I've ever talked to. His breadth and depth of knowledge is truly remarkable. In this episode, you'll learn how and why Giovanni taught himself how to code, some lessons learned from how he got his software engineer job at Google, how he applies an engineering mindset to personal development as he is the co-lead of Personal Development Nerds, a community that has been super, super helpful to me. Uh, the benefits of writing, reflection, and his annual review process and work, how to think about doing deep work for periods of time, and also reflecting and evaluating new opportunities as well, and some thoughts on how to manage ourselves during this current difficult economic environment. Please check out Giovanni.com to learn more about Giovanni and see some of his extensive book reviews and articulate writing. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Giovanni. So Giovanni, if we were to go to an event tonight, how do you uh, typically introduce yourself? I typically introduce myself by my core principles. So I'm someone who deeply wants to understand. Uh, I'm someone who is very curious and intentional about learning about myself about the world and other people Um, there are things that i do professionally of course but i usually try to delay that to the last minute Uh, but professionally i'm a software engineer cool um well i wanted to take this moment uh here on episode 100 to say uh thank you uh for being such a big contributor to my life and uh you know, here we are in our apartment recording episode number 100. Uh, episode number two was with our other roommate before, Kian Gardner. Uh, so this is just a special moment. And I'm really grateful for it. Um, and I think it all started with, you had like a Facebook post and said like, who's looking for a roommate? And uh, and here we are. And I think it's just uh, special. And I just want to say thanks. Yeah, well, it, it's been a, a pleasure and a real journey uh, just getting to see your own journey. I think seeing your growth has been incredibly inspirational, seeing all, all the, the stories that you've been able to share that have had real concrete impact in other people's lives to help them build their own portfolio careers has been, um, very, very inspiring. Amazing. Thank you. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so I think one thing that's interesting about that is that like one post, you know, never know where that's going to go. And I think that is definitely a, a theme in some of my work is just taking chances and serendipity and stuff. But don't want to go too much into that. But I do, I do believe that you have a unique perspective on how to get call it marquee jobs or important jobs. Uh, you mentioned your software engineer. Uh, maybe as people come to you for job advice and stuff, uh, maybe talk to me a little bit about how you think uh, people should go about that. Yeah, sure. So for some context, I'm a, currently a software engineer at Google. Google is one of the world-class engineering uh, and technology companies in the world. And I did not go to school for engineering. Uh, I actually didn't even know that I would go to college. In fact, uh, I grew up in the Bronx and I was into design and art. And my, my first sort of interests were, were in graphic design and art. And when the financial crisis hit in 2008, I decided to pivot and I went towards the flames. <laughs> so I transferred to business school and in business school, I taught myself how to code. Um, that was one of the, the best decisions I've, I've made. It's unlocked so many different life and career opportunities for me. Um, but throughout that whole time, there was a lot of professional and personal experimentation. And there was a lot of sacrifice required to, to get to that point. Because I ended up teaching myself in school while I was already taking a full course load, um, I had to sacrifice my spring breaks and my summer breaks. So I pretty much lived in the library for three years in, in college, my sophomore, junior, and senior year, so that I can have the time and focus to, to teach myself how to code. And what I realized um, through that, I think the early signals of the kind of skills I needed to be drawn towards was kind of the demand that I witnessed at career fairs. So at career fairs, um, particularly at my school, there were hundreds of people lined up for the accounting jobs, the finance jobs. And I remember seeing only a, a handful, maybe like five or six people lining up for some of the, the more technical companies looking for positions. So I saw a complete um, mismatch in the demand, um, but as well as the, the value, because tech workers get, get paid quite a lot, even more, more so than the business counterparts. And because of my upbringings of where I, where I grew up, I didn't have family members that went to college. So I didn't have the guidance and um, connections to even break into some of those industries and business that require a lot of relationships to get through. And so with technology, at least, I was fortunate that it's one of the, the few fuels that you, if you can teach yourself and be effective and prove that you can do the work, you can, you can get in. And so... Uh, I was able to get a couple of early internships. Uh, one was at Standard and Poor's during the European, uh, the Eurozone crisis, and then eventually I got another internship at AOL. And both of those internships really helped me to to stand out and, and give me a little bit more product to sell myself. And so having those names really helped, and getting those internships it was a little bit of luck and a little bit of work. So for the Standard and Poor's internship. It was actually um, an alumni of my alma mater, Fordham University, who was a director at Standard & Poor's, who I was able to get in touch with and network um, and wait till the time was right where there was some slots and positions open for an internship. And um, 
with AOL, I kind of used the brand of S&P to sell myself to get into to AOL and then eventually used the brand of AOL and sold myself to um, get into a, a technical recruiting company um, that eventually got bought by IBM. So it, it really was kind of baby steps and using one opportunity to open up the door for another opportunity. And still... And it's still the same till this day. My opportunity at Google now came in part... It wasn't a direct result, but what helped was I'm a facilitator and uh, for this organization called DevColor, which is a mastermind group for underrepresented software engineers. And that program had a conference with 300 software engineers. And through uh, a, a bunch of like networking and hustling, I was able to become the host and MC for that event. And one of the audience members in that event was a VP at Google. Hmm. And about six months after that conference, when I was applying, I reached back out to that individual who was crucial and helping um, to helping me navigate through the process and eventually land a job at Google. Mm-hmm. So you talk a lot about kind of leveraging prior experiences, credibility to then find other opportunities, et cetera. Uh, what other things do you think are useful to people when they're, besides just trying to apply to a job, is there other things that you think people should do that, uh, that you've done through your experiences that are maybe a little bit? Yeah, um, I think that kind of the conventional approach or the default approach to applying online is almost like just trying to, to shoot a, a paper ball into a black hole. It, it often times you'll be in the back seat to people that can get in front of the real hiring people. So you really want to find a way to get in front of people. And so for me, uh, that was trying to, to use LinkedIn to, to reach out, to get past the recruiters and figure out the managers. The managers usually have the keys to the kingdom. Mm. So if you can figure out who are the decision makers in the company that you would like to apply to and, and try to get in front of them, um, if you can't get in front of them, having a phone call with them can help a lot. Mm. And what about like showcasing skills, body of work? call it mm-hmm. networking any thoughts on that that yeah i usually think that people should spend most of their time um, developing a skill as opposed to actively finding a job one is that you also realize that both are skills of them in of themselves so looking for a job and in interview so there's like three different or maybe even more different <laughs> skill set um, so doing the job is one skill looking for a job is another skill interviewing for that job is another skill and then getting promoted once you have the job is like another skill in itself and so usually during a job search people spend invest most of their time looking for the job but when you're interviewing that's another skill that you have to prepare for because once you find the job then that's now another battle that's going on how do you perform well during the interview to to showcase that you're deserving deserving of the job And, and once you have a job how do you stay around and so for me, what helped was spending most of my time developing my skills. And I'm fortunate that I do have a skill set where it's easier to, to kind of show the work and um, so that other people can validate my skills, whereas some other jobs are a little bit harder. Some service-oriented jobs are a little bit harder. Things where you're not, your work is not producing an artifact is a little bit harder. 
And in those cases, then instead of developing skills, then you need to develop relationships. And so the relationships will primarily be a showcase that sells your character and your potential as a person to work with. Like if people think you're an awesome person to work with, then they're going to help you to get in to the company. And so developing, if you're in that boat, then relationship development is incredibly important. And do you think that's been uh, on the relationship side? Do you think your involvement with you know, uh, being a leader of uh, personal development nerds and some of these other organizations has been part of like call it designing your yeah lifestyle? Yeah. So uh, personal development nerds is a personal development community that I co-founded in 2015. And the core of the community is around mutual improvement. So not only improving yourself, but improving with other people. Um, and so in that community, um, as a leader, I've had to learn a lot about myself and be a good role model and just like personify a lot of the things that I was talking about. So with that dynamic of being a leader in a personal development group, there's a lot of skin in the game to actually like cultivate good habits and and do things because I was in a spotlight where people can like judge me. Um, and by actually doing those things, I developed a very strong level of respect between people and a solid reputation, mm -hmm. which did help bring in a lot of opportunities my way. And so with that, I think we can, everyone has the power to create their own community and a community can be three people or mm. even two people. Um, a community could be any size and a community is I, I think of it as a, a group with shared values that are invested in the health and success of everyone else in the community. And so with that dynamic where everyone is kind of invested in each other's best interest from the context of building a portfolio career or searching for a job, people are more likely to uh, message you if they hear something that's available or even hire you because they've gotten to know you as a person and want to give you, give you opportunities. And so you want to be in a position where you're not the only one looking and you're not the only one building skills. Um, you have other people on the lookout for you and you have other people investing to help co-create opportunities for you to develop skills. Yeah. Cause it, it reminds me, I remember some of our conversations of like when, uh, signaling to the market that you're available, then all these other relationships are then like, oh, well, now's my chance to uh, help a friend or, and that signal is really important too. But you've been, you built it up and then all those people are like, okay, well, yeah, I just saw these three jobs this past week. A friend asked me about something. Uh, what do you think about these things? And just having that switch turn on is really powerful. Yeah, I think that's a very important part. Making it known that you're looking for opportunities is, is very important. And I know that there's a lot of internal turmoil or difficulties of asking for help or feelings of shame to show that you're someone who needs help. Uh, but people, especially within your network, your community really want to help you. And so um, getting over that fear and seeing that there's a lot of good people out there willing to help if you just let them know how to help you is, is very important. Yeah. And you're giving them a gift to yeah. some extent too. Yeah. Um, 
of helping a friend and that satisfaction. You also mentioned earlier about this idea of software engineering being like an in-demand skill or a, a highly valuable skill, and that you taught yourself how to how to code. Um, is that related to going back to like your upbringing in terms of like learning that you needed to have this really valuable skill because of you know uh, certain conditions growing up, and and from that, is there any other lessons learned to how you? kind of uh, live your daily life now Mm -hmm. yeah I think I I did not have any role models or the role models that were in that profession to know that that's something that I wanted to do Um, I did have the awareness to see that it was like a skill that the world will value because as um, it's like another venture capitalist said like software is eating the world and as software becomes the primary language for creating the tools that everyone in the world uses, then you need the craftsmen who are able to help shape these tools which shape the world. And I would say early, my, my early upbringing, having so few resources and so few connections, um, what I learned growing up in, in poverty growing up in the hood in, in, in a particular part of the Bronx was that there's a lot of people with the potential and talent and just lacking the opportunities. And even with that said, there's a lot of smart, clever people that day in and day out find a way to survive, find a way to live. And um, you can make a little go a long way. You really have to learn that lesson when, when you don't have much to 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 go on. And so that in of itself, the core of that is being smart about resources, learning how to break things apart so that it can be shared and divided amongst people and then learning how to kind of put your, the community's resources together. And so engineering is like understanding how to break down a problem into the smaller sub problems that can be solved. Um, learning how systems work, learning how data works, learning the patterns of particular problems or algorithms and um, having that, that understanding from, from the hood of, of just how to, to be resourceful or crafty to make things work is really the core of engineering too. So there's a lot of parallel and I think you can find some of the, the, the greatest engineers in some of the most resource poor areas because they like survival is, is the art of engineering. Mm-hmm. And so then you use those lessons to in all the different areas of, of your life. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, I would say the engineering mindset definitely has blossomed throughout my life, particularly it's, it's affected my views on personal development, which ironically is not a wild, a widely held view in the industry of engineering. And what I mean by that is a lot of engineers tend to focus on optimizing or engineering or building external systems. Whereas, and then the parallel for other industries or other fields to say a more spiritual community or even more Eastern cultures tend to focus more on inner engineering or inner truth, more emotional, more metaphysical. Um, So my, I have influences from both Western and Eastern ideologies. And I've tend to use my engineering mindset to make myself a better person 
And I also had to do that too from an early age to just survive my environment. And so what I meant was by that is taking a data-driven approach to quantified self, for example. And so that could be habit tracking or just general habit development. So that could be um, tracking all my workouts or fitness, tracking my sleep, tracking my water intake, tracking my online productivity, um, journaling. So all these different activities and habits that I've cultivated and the data that I collect, that I tweak and engineer to almost like make myself a modern cyborg using technology and augmenting it to help me withstand like the pressures of life. Hmm. Hmm. And so that system level kind of approach is probably not applied for in many other fields. And so maybe could you share maybe some resources or tools for people that are, you know, now saying, well, I am an expert in this or professional in that. I would like to have more system level thinking or more engineering uh, focus to my business or to my uh, my my personal life. Um, any thoughts on kind of designing that, whether that's annual reviews, reflections, things of that nature or tools? Yeah. Yeah. Uh- so just one other clarification on, or more so a reinterpretation. I think you had mentioned that there were many, not many other fields that use systems. I would say once you start seeing systems everywhere, you realize like everyone, like everything is a system. Hmm. And it's more so of just unlocking that vision to kind of see what already exists. And usually in more scientific fields, there's a, a deeper understanding of that just because there's such a deeply rooted culture in experimentation. And so systems fundamentally are processes or steps that have inputs and outputs, and those outputs change depending on the the input. And then some of these systems have what's called like a, a constant where it doesn't vary that much, and it can determine how much the input changes and how that leads into some new output. So with scientists, because they're trying to either disprove something or prove something, they experiment by changing that input. They're usually trying to prove an output. So they're usually trying to solve some problem where they're trying to either reproduce some other experiment Mm -hmm. across the world. And so in the more scientific fields where they're trying to break down a problem to figure out, okay, what things do we need to tweak to create an output, then it's more known. For everyday life, I would say, uh, once, you're, once you cultivate a level of mindfulness, and by mindfulness, I mean awareness, so being present of, of what physical actions you're taking or even mental actions you're taking, every action you do is, is a form of input. And then you have some result that happens in the world. That's like the reality of the world where you have some input or change. It creates some output. And so if you have any particular goals in life or systems that you're trying to build in a system, like I was mentioning, is just a, a process or a habit. Um, you can start doing personal experiments to say that, okay, if I wake up, if I'm normally a, a night owl, if I tweak this where instead of going to bed at midnight, I go to bed at 1030, what, what happens? You may find that, okay, wait, I wake up an hour earlier. So that's just an experiment that you've ran. You've changed the input of your bedtime and it has an output of your wake up time. And so you can start 
finding all these small experiments that you could do in your life um, to create new outcomes for yourself. Yeah. And then the data-driven approach to us, so then tweaking and improving. Yeah, the data-driven approach is, is uh, more so of taking measurement or taking notes of what you tweak or what has happened. And so when you start measuring things, then you can start managing things, as they say. And um, it's very hard to manage things if you don't keep track of what changes. Yeah. Uh, and this is the stuff that some of the stuff you've been telling me of like, I want to see an annual review, more reflection from me and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is hard. I think it's important to take the time. I, I haven't been doing it as much as, as I'd like to, but... Yeah, so to expand on that, uh, you mentioned the annual review. So the annual review is a writing exercise that I started doing in 2013, and it was inspired by a number of other people, but some forms of it have a, has existed for a while. And so this writing exercise is a reflection exercise in which you recap the year. And so the structure that I particularly use is reflections of the prompts of what went well, what didn't go well, what am I working towards reducing, what, are, what am I working on improving, and what did I learn? And so when I think about what went well, I think about, okay, from the systems mindset, okay, what are the outcomes which I really enjoyed or, or want to continue to do? And then what didn't go well, oftentimes this is usually outside of my control, but it's an outcome that I didn't really enjoy. And I want to capture that and learn from it. And that ties into what did I learn? So what were the, the core lessons or principles that if I were to integrate into my life, or uh, would help to reduce the things that don't go well. And what am I reducing? That's an important one because I realized that the core to a lot of good or good outcomes is simplicity. And what happens is that we add too much things to our life or there's a lot of different either bad relationships, bad mm -hmm. friendships, or other commitments and responsibilities that add a lot of burden to our life and a lot of problems could be solved if we reduce that that weight or reduce those bad um, relationships. So I, I do spend some time thinking on what are the things that I want to reduce outside of my life and what am I working towards? That's now taking all those reflections and figuring out, okay, what's important to me? What should I prioritize? And uh, what do I want to work towards building? Who do I want to become? Um, and, and being intentional about that. And so that annual reflection process, I've found, I've been doing it for yeah almost seven, eight years now. Mm. And I've had a number of friends that I've told about this who have read my annual review. Probably thousands of people have read my annual review. And I probably know of maybe 10 people or less who will like actively do it and retain it. And the main bottleneck is a combination of like, of course, there's a tactical of like how to go about doing it. But the main problem is emotional. Um, there's a lot of emotional resistance uh, towards thinking deeply about our lives, a lot of emotional resistance towards writing about ourselves. Um, and then on a tactical approach, there's just so much that happens in our life that if we don't have a solid habit or practice of taking notes, then our memory, we, we, we're just very susceptible to bad memory or mm. false memory. Or, or just fogginess on remembering the highlights and key moments. And we also do have, we tend to have a bias towards negative events in our life. 
So looking back may, for certain personality types, may cause more like anxiety than than positive thoughts. But in, in general, I think it's the most important writing exercise I do by far. It's not easy. Um, and I think there are smaller steps that we can do to, to get to a path of just more deep intentional reflection. So for some people, I've recommended having, it can even be like a, a dinner with close friends, just talking about what what's what's been going on for the year or even like the last couple of months just having like a moment to to talk about our emotions and 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 things deep things in our lives with with people that we care about mm-hmm. uh, another thing that we've also talked about and it's related to this is this and maybe it's come up through some of your reviews of like a period of heads down and building mode versus opening up for call it serendipity and luck um a- any thoughts on that as you start to you know think about design the portfolio career arc and yeah yeah so uh d there's this concept called deep work and it was also written as a book similar title same title by cal newport and in that that concept of the the core premise is that we we live in a highly distracted world and that distraction takes away from our concentration and ability to get into a flow state to really create high quality work uh, consistently so our minds are very scattered and fragmented and as our as the economy shifts towards more knowledge work our mind not our body is going to be our our primary tool Mm -hmm. and so being able to to protect our consciousness like our, our our ability to focus is vital to our livelihood and so there's that phase of deep work, and then there's also the kind of phase of um, hyper connection, hyper social. I also like to think of it as like a balance between order and chaos, um, and and like a, a phase between exploration and exploitation. And so deep work is the phase of order. It's the split, the phase of exploitation, and the kind of hyper connected is a phase of chaos, is a phase of exploration. Both are incredibly vital. I think even the book Range, Hmm. which talks about how it's important to not not try to over-specialize too early. The importance of um, experimenting across different domains and fields. And I think the book primarily focuses on athletes who are multi-sport athletes versus athletes that over-specialize too early. And um, this will also be reflected in, in, in careers where someone hasn't had that much exposure to other domains and fields, where the benefit of being exposed to other domains and fields is that you can take the best practices and lessons from other fields that are seemingly disconnected and apply them to your field and create something totally new. And this can lead mm. to a lot of breakthroughs. And there's also this other high-level metaphor by a, a Russian author named Tolstoy, and he has this dynamic of the hedgehog and the fox. Mm. And hedgehogs um, is this kind of concept where you have one person who knows one big thing, and then you have a fox who knows many little things. And throughout history, there's been this pendulum swing between um, the kind of Einsteins of the world who... Actually, Einstein was kind of more in the, in the middle, but his main ideas are like these one big ideas 
that lead to big breakthroughs in physics. And, um, and then you have other, other characters who have many, uh, like a more Leonardo da Vinci, like polymaths who are like foxes and they, their knowledge spans many different domains and they create like this creative explosion. Um, and so I think tie back to modern times, the, the, the Fox approach or this chaos approach is highly reflected in social media where you're exposed to so many different ideas and opinions and media content that it's almost like a hive mind that pulses and has this short attention span. And the benefits of that is that you're, you're exposed to new ideas almost like through a fire hose. So you're just like <laughs> hosed down by this idea. So much information that you're hosed down by. Whereas you're kind of, if you're living in the woods in the cabin, uh, maybe you may come up with like the next great Harry Potter or the world, mm. like some amazing novel. And so the balance there is that there are times when it makes sense to expose yourself to the fire hose to get inspiration. And then there are times where it makes sense to unplug. You've already, you have enough information. What are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. And to, to remove yourself from the noise so that you can actually have time to build and create. And so that's that kind of interesting balance in, uh, that goes on there. And when it comes to portfolio, like designing a portfolio career, I think one mistake that I see people making is that they're, they're going through their their career very almost like a bunny rabbit where it may make sense to approach your career like a turtle turtles live very long <laughs> turtles I can live for like a hundred years or something like that and uh why i bring up that that analogy of like the hare versus the the tortoise because we all know who won who won the race mm -hmm. and we underestimate how much we can do in a lifetime you can have maybe six huge like big milestone moments in your life spread out across 10 year sprints but what what happens is that people try to fit like six different careers in in the span of one 10 year block and what what you've done is you just divided that into like less than 2 years sprints when you really haven't had enough depth and experience to to develop the, the level of, of expertise in a particular area to have enough impact to break through the noise. And so if we almost slow down, we can actually speed up in the long run by having like well-defined eras for ourselves and mm -hmm. spreading that over the, the era. What, what is your portfolio career of your 20s? What is the portfolio career of your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s? You can do a lot over that time span instead of rushing everything uh, without being patient with yourself and and um, developing the skills to to stand out yeah amazing uh, I get the honor to, to talk to you much more but I wanted to uh, keep it around the, the normal th 30 minute mark is there anything else you think we missed Giovanni I know there's you know millions of books there's uh, so much we can talk about and that I, we do and hopefully get to chat again on the podcast for listeners but um, yeah. Anything else you think we missed? <laughs> uh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or anything else you'd like to say? <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, what I would like to say is 
I think for my own personal journey, I've realized how important um, emotions are and, and just really understanding that that's the kind of spark that keeps you and the world moving. Mm. I think oftentimes we're stuck in our heads. And even from from those that are more intellectually leaning, uh, who love to read books, uh, books can be a very effective source of procrastination and and just mindless information consumption and i think a lot can be gained through exploring our hearts uh a lot more exploring our body really feeling things and uh yeah there's only so much you can know but there's a lot a lot to feel and that makes life a lot more fulfilling and exciting i I feel i really feel that and so I think as we're going through a lot of challenging times, I think we're going to get a lot more value out of learning how to feel and manage our emotion and communicate more than any sort of tools and tactics available. Because there's, there's always a lot of that. But when it comes down to it, if, if we're not feeling right with ourselves um, and feeling that our mental health is, is all right, then none of the tools in the world are going to save us. We, we have to really use our hearts and our connections with people in our relationships to, to really live, live through life mm-hmm. and get through this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, please let listeners know where they can, um, uh, learn more about you. Yeah. Um, so people can find me at, uh, Giovanni.com. So that's J U V O N I.com. And I'm also on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is my favorite social platform despite all the 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 trolls anxiety i think it's a tool that once you curate curate it well it can have a lot of value so that's um j-u-v-o-n-i you can find me at giovanni amazing thanks so much giovanni yeah thanks for having me hey friend thanks again for tuning in to another episode of portfolio career podcast wanted to also let you know about my monthly newsletter called one email away where I fundamentally believe that we are all one email away from new opportunities. And if there's a way that I could potentially help you to connect with other people, I would love to do that. So one email away, um, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. You can also see the one email away section. But just want to take this moment to say thank you for, for listening to this episode. Really excited for us to build and grow our portfolio careers together.